Mark chapter 5 this morning, and it is Father's Day today, if you have your father still with you, still living, reach out to him, say thank you, say well you don't know my father, I don't need to know your father, but I know that the Bible says that we should honor our parents, and regardless of of the situation, that uh, you should reach out and you should say uh, hello, you should say happy Father's Day, you should do something. And if you have a good relationship with your parents, praise the Lord with that for that and tell them you love them. I want to speak to you this morning on Father's Day, and I don't often do it, um, but I'm going to this morning. And I want you to look in Mark chapter 5, in verse 21. We're going to read a few verses here, and we'll skip down to the end of the chapter. I want to point out some principles regarding fatherhood this morning and use this man that we'll see in our text here as an example. And the Bible says in verse 21, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold... There cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Now skip down to verse 35. While he yet spake... There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? It shows their limited faith here in their thoughts and in their, their words. Verse 36, And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. There was... A time when I used to read uh, the newspaper, don't really do that anymore with internet and all social media and everything else, but, but you'd get the, the newspaper and you'd read the news, you read the headlines, you read the stories or whatever in the newspaper. And one of the things that I liked uh, most was in the Sunday paper was the funnies section, the cartoons, the comics, you know. And one of the particular cartoons that I always liked was the family circus. How many of you remember the Family Circus cartoon, all right, just a couple of you, or else you're just not participating yet, one of the two. Yeah, probably both. 
Anyway, I remember there was a cartoon, the family circus, and one Sunday, the, the little boy of the family was running through the house, and he was crying, Mommy, 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 and you see him, you know, with the little things behind him. He's making the cloud of dust as he's running through the house cleaning for Mommy. And if you look closely in the cartoon, what you found or saw was that his knee was all scraped up. He hurt. And he runs crying to mommy for just a few frames in that cartoon. And the very next frame is you see dad standing there. And as he's running by, all of a sudden he just stops. He's like, hey, dad, what's up? And then he takes off running again, crying, mommy, mommy, mommy. And he had no emotion. He had no tears, no nothing when he stopped by dad to say, hey, dad. But then he went on his way crying to mommy. And that's an illustration in some ways. And often in life, as a father, you know, our kids are going to pass us up for mom for some things. They want comfort. They want mom for the, for the comforting things. But you know what? There's one thing that, 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 that your children will not do. They're not going to look to mom. They're not going to look to somebody else to give them an example of what it means to have a relationship with God. They won't. I came across some things that were very interesting. I was preparing for something else. But I remembered these stats, and I thought, you know, that actually fits really well in with the message. And and I jotted a few things down, and, and the, the, there was a study that was being done, and it wasn't just a study in Christianity, it was a study in religion, all religions across the board, okay? This is all secular religion, all religions of all kinds. And there was some studies that were done that state this, that if both father and mother are religious and go to church, that 72% of children will also go to church when they grow up. Again, this is not just in Christianity. This is across the board, all religions. If only the father goes to church, the percentages drop down to 55%. But, only, but if only the mother goes to church, only 15% of those children will actually go to church when they grow up. This is all religions. Not just Christianity. And I'm saying even research shows that children take their spiritual lead from their fathers. It's, in, it's, it's built into our DNA. And listen, a lot of homes in America are suffering from what we might call the phantom father. The father who's not there, even if he resides there in the house, he's really not there. There's a lot of, there's millions and, and probably billions of men who fathered children and simply walked away from their families. And let me say something to you. Fathering a child doesn't make a man a father. Carrying the title of father also carries with it great responsibility. Other men, even though living in their own families, can become so absorbed. And, and men, I want, I want to, dads, I want to talk to you today. Not just you, though. This is, there's principles for everyone. But let me just say this to you. Men can become so absorbed by their careers, by their jobs, by their hobbies, 
by other things that they actually seldom spend time with their children, even though they live in their house. And the effects of that, we cannot quantify. The effects of that, we cannot put uh, into, uh, into measure. But, but we do know, and history shows us, and society even shows us, that the effects are often devastating. Not just in the family unit, but in society itself. You look at what's happening in society right now, and a lot of people would like to blame poverty and a lack of opportunity for the societal problems that we have. But the sad truth is, and if we were honest, it's broken homes and broken families that is at the root of it. A home doesn't need just a man in the house. It needs a father. And so in this portion of Scripture this morning, we're told of a man by the name of Jairus, who was a religious man. He was a ruler of the local synagogue. And we'll talk about that for a second. But the primary thing that I want to look at is the fact that this man was a father. Now, in context here, if you go to verse 21, the Bible says that when Jesus was passed over again by ship, Unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. In context, what has just happened in Mark chapter 5 is that Jesus is arriving back in Capernaum. He had been, prior to this, the day before, he had been teaching multitudes by the sea. And after he was done teaching the multitudes, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 5, that he went across the Sea of Galilee over into the country of the Gadarenes. And we read about how Jesus healed the, the demoniac of Gadara there. One person, he went to see. When he's done with that, they come all the way back again across the Sea of Galilee back to Capernaum. And we get to verse 21, and the Bible says that when he got there, much people gathered unto him. Apparently, people were waiting for him, from the day before when he was teaching the multitudes of people. And here he's still teaching by the sea. In that context, the narrative turns its attention to one man. Because we get to verse 22, and behold, in that context, in the multitudes of people that are gathering around here, behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Now notice here that the Bible turns the narrative to this one man named Jairus. And the Bible also says that he's a ruler of the synagogue. Now that's important for us to take note of. Because his position here makes it very important. And what happens next, next makes it very important. Jesus or Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. What that meant was that he was the a presiding elder of the synagogue in Capernaum. That assembly of people that included the, basically the whole community of Capernaum. His position made him one of the most prominent men in that community. Everybody would have known who this guy is. He would have had a high position. He would have also been wealthy. He would have had all kinds of power, all kinds of prestige. And so we see this man had a high social position 
a man who was known among the people, a man of prestige, a man of power, but we find that he had a desperate need. His position and his authority and his power didn't exempt him from the realities and the troubles of life. The next thing that we read is that this man's little girl was about to die. In verse 22, the Bible says that he came to Jesus and he fell at his feet and he besought him greatly, saying, My little girl lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. What I want us to see this morning is why Jairus was a good father and why he was the right kind of example to his children and what the result was because of this man's faith. That's the direction I want us to go this morning. And I want to encourage you and to challenge you at the same time. And let's let our heart and our mind be affected by the word of God this morning, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you use your word. Lord, we give the time to you. And Father, we pray that your spirit would move in hearts today. There may be some that are not saved. Lord, there may be some that need to make some adjustments. There may be some, Lord, who need to let you have, have control in their life and in their family. And Lord, all the things that we'll speak on today, I pray that you would control it. And Father, that you would direct it through your spirit and through your word, that your will is accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing that I want to point out to you this morning, why Jairus was a good father, why he was the right kind of example to his children, is found in verse 22. And the principle that I want to draw out here is that Jairus was a man who sought the Lord himself. Jairus was a man who sought the Lord himself. Verse 22 says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Jairus himself came to find Jesus. Jairus himself uh, came to the presence of the Lord. He sought the Lord out for himself. He didn't send somebody else for his daughter's sake. He could have sent a servant. He could have sent his assistant. He could have sent somebody else. But Jairus went himself to the Lord, and Jairus fell at the Lord's feet. In the, now, remember this. Remember the context. Remember what's going on here. There's a multitude of people here that have gathered around the Lord. And behold, there cometh a man named Jairus, and he falls down at Jesus' feet. Remember his social position. Remember his power. Remember all that he is. Remember all the people that are there. And Jairus himself comes and falls before the Lord's feet. The point I'm making here is that Jairus took the responsibility himself for finding hope for his daughter. He didn't send somebody else. Let me make this application. Dad, when you took on the role of father, you were also to take on the responsibility of fatherhood with it. A responsibility that is given by God. 
We read this morning in our psalm, when we read before Sunday school, Psalm 127, 3, that children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. The very next verses say, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. That's the, 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 the idea here, is that you take the, the archer takes his arrow, and his quiver is full of them. Those are the children. He takes that arrow, and he puts it in the bow, and he aims, and he points, and wherever he lets that thing go, it's going to hit the mark. That's the father. That's a father's responsibility, a father's job. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And I'm saying this to you. I'm saying this to you in love, and I'm saying this to you to try to help. Parents, moms, and dads both. It is your job to train up and raise your children. It's not the school's job. It's not television's job. It's not the daycare. And it's not even the church. That's your job. I've seen it a thousand times probably, and maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but if you've seen it once, you've seen it a thousand times. The children are little, and they're in church, and they grow up, and, and they have the opportunity for truth and so on, but somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, there's some inconsistency somewhere, and when those kids get of age, all of a sudden they're gone out into the world, and the parents come back blaming the preacher, the parents come back blaming the church, blaming the youth director, whatever, because you didn't do a good job with my kids. It's not my job. I love your kids. I love them more than anything. I love them like my own. I think you know that. But it's your job to take the responsibility on for yourself, Dad. Jairus didn't send his assistant. Jairus didn't send a servant to go find Jesus. He came and sought the Lord himself. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Notice verse 4. Who it's addressed to. You see the words? Ye fathers. It's pretty specific, isn't it? And ye fathers. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A lot of times we want to park on the first part. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. <laughs> Inconsistency on the part of the father will do that. But you look at the next part of the verse, and there's a whole lot more responsibility here. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God gives fathers the responsibility to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word nurture means discipline. Note that. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. You know what? Children require discipline. They do. And whose job is it, according to this verse? It's the father's job, is it not? 
Am I wrong? No, the word of God says, fathers, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Listen, listen, children require that. In order to do that, in order to be that, in order to fulfill that responsibility, fathers, it takes a lot of character on your part, and it takes a lot of the right priorities. Because here's, what's hap- here's what happens in so many cases. The children need some discipline. The children need something out of, uh, you know, from their parents. But dad is so wrapped up in his, in his work, he's so wrapped up in whatever he's doing, that all the time, all the discipline usually just gets passed off to mom to have to deal with it. When in the middle of whatever I'm doing, I don't have the time to deal with this right now. So mom's got to deal with it. It takes some character and some right priorities on the part of the father. Like, listen, listen, their little soul and their heart is more important than whatever I'm doing right now. I need to set it down for a second and I need to go deal with this situation. Now, listen, I'm I'm speaking from experience here. It's hard and we're not always consistent at that. But there should be something in our heart that says I want to be and I'm going to try to be. Versus, I'm just too busy, you deal with it. That's the continual pattern. Or when you're working on your stuff and you hear across the room or across the house somewhere, you know, little Johnny's lipping off to mom because he, mom's telling him to do something and she, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to be told what to do, so he's getting a little smart. He's getting a little disrespectful. Or little Susie. Sorry, Susie. i got to come up with another name. Roberta. (laughs) She's getting a little smart, a little lippy, a little attitude. And we hear this, or we we block it out, we don't hear what's going on, because we're so wrapped up in whatever. And and later on, our wife's got to come to us. She's like, did you hear what was going on? I'm like, oh, clueless. I didn't have an idea. Pay attention. Listen. Be aware. And if you hear it, and you are, listen. Man, I, this, so many times this has happened. Either I have to get up and I'll go deal with it right away or I'll deal with it from where I'm at with my voice. No, you do not get to talk to your mother that way. That is very disrespectful. You're not going to do that. Let's go apologize. Sorry, sorry. I'm sorry for being disrespectful. Usually it's I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what? Sorry for being disrespectful. Yeah. Whose job is it? What I'm saying is, it takes priorities, the right priorities. It's the father's responsibility to teach the children about God, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And yet, many mothers and churches have to take on that responsibility simply because dad is too busy. And usually being too busy is an excuse. It's a simple refusal. But then there are sometimes when listen, and I'll cut I'll cut a little bit of slack. A little bit. But not a lot. For a father who feels like, you know what, I'm new to this and I'm learning 
and it's hard, and I don't feel adequate to do this or to do it right. And I'll cut you a little bit of slack for that feeling, but I won't cut a lot. I mean, the Lord doesn't, because that's not really an excuse. Because the Lord lays the responsibility on us as fathers. The Lord gives us that responsibility. It's just because we don't feel adequate isn't a real excuse. Fix it. You can borrow brains, but you cannot borrow character. You can go ask somebody, how do I do this? Have you been through this? Have you walked through this? What should I do? What's the best thing to do? You can borrow somebody's brains, but you cannot borrow character. And what I'm saying, sir, is that it falls on you to give unto your children the kind of upbringing that prepares them for living lives that are pleasing to God. That's the basic principle. Now, let me just give you a little bit of instruction here. And there's five things that I just want to touch on before we move on to the next thought. The first is this. You have to have the right relationship with God yourself first before you can teach your children. Meaning that you have to be responsible for your own spiritual life first. You can't teach what you don't know. But you have that responsibility. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 13, he said, take, take heed unto yourself. But, but in the context of taking heed unto yourself, he's talking about uh, the doctrine. He's talking about the, the word of God. And he's talking about meditating on these things, giving yourself wholly to these things, the word of God. And then he says, take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine that thy profiting, you're going to profit from it, but that thy profiting may appear to all. Your kids and your family need to see your own spiritual life. You need to first have the right relationship with God yourself and then teach it to your children. Secondly, what you need to do is teach your children the fear of the Lord. And let me not say you, let me say we, what we need to do. What we need to do is teach our children the fear of the Lord. If I have learned anything, it's this. Teach them to turn from evil and to love righteousness. How do you love righteousness? By teaching them to love God with all of their heart first. You can set down the rules. You can have it all in place. You can... Dot your I's, cross your T's, check off your boxes. You can do it all. But if you don't teach them to love God with all of their heart first, those are just rules that mean nothing. But if you teach them to love God, and they love God with all of their heart, that is what is going to keep them from evil. Teach them to fear the Lord. Teach them to hate iniquity. Instill in them God's attitude towards sin. Live before God the way that you want them to live before God. Teach them the, the importance of loving God with all of their heart. 
You have to have the right relationship with God first yourself. You need to teach them the fear of the Lord. Thirdly, you need to protect them from ungodly influences. Listen, protect them, protect them, protect them. I've had to make a few adjustments. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not ashamed to tell you that. There's a lot more danger out there now than when I was a kid. Protect them. The devil wants them just as much as he wants you. He wants them. He wants to destroy them. And he will. Dad, that's your job. To protect them. And sometimes you have to learn the hard way how important it is to protect your kids. Don't be naive. Don't be foolish. Don't be their friend. Sometimes that's what gets in the way of really protecting. Oh, I want them to like me. They don't need to like you. They need to live. They need to survive. Those are all important things. Fourthly, establish them in church. Listen, Dad, if you see no need for faithfulness to God's house, trust me, your kids aren't going to either. You can control them now when they're little. You can control them when they're preteens. But the day is coming when you will not. Establish them in church. What do I mean by that? Build your life around being committed to God over everything else. Build your life around honoring the Lord more than anything else. Listen, why? Because they're going to learn from your example. And if you don't see the need, friend, if you don't see the need, they're definitely not going to see it. You can slough it off. You can mock all you want right now, but mark it down. Write it down. Number five, encourage them to remain separated from the world. We need to instill in them some godly standards, some godly habits. Teach them by your life, by your actions, not just your words, because words mean very, very little if they're not applied. What am I saying here? I'm saying, let your children know that you love God. That you're not ashamed of the gospel, nor the God of the gospel. Walk with them. Walk with God. Walk with them together toward the Lord. Show them you're committed to God. Listen, all I'm saying is, Jairus was a man who came and sought the Lord for himself. It was his responsibility to find the hope for his daughter. 
The second principle I want to draw out here is in verse 23 and 24. Go back to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. In verse 23, the Bible says that, G- that Jairus besought Jesus greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. The second principle and thought that I want to draw out here is that, that Jairus invited the Lord into his house. Not only did he seek the Lord for himself, but Jairus invited him to come to his house. Now skip down to verse 35. Verse 35 says, While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And we can read on how, we'll, we'll look at what happens next once we get a little bit farther down in that passage. But the, the point here is that Jairus invited the Lord into his house. Now you might say, why is that such a big deal? Or why are you making a point about that? Well, we can't forget that, Je- that, to, that Jesus to many of the religious Jews, was pariah. Jesus was a, a man who did his, his work and his deeds by the power of Beelzebub, the devil. Jesus was a man who was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a man who was a wine-bibber. Jesus was one that, that we are, that guy's bad, you need to follow us. That's, that's who Jesus was to the religious crowd. It would have been unheard of to many to have this man, this Jesus, come under their roof, especially one of such position. You following that? So let me make this application. One thing that should be a must for our families is that under our roof, there better be an invitation for the King of Kings to come in. There better be an invitation for the Lord of glory to come in and dwell. What did Psalm 127 1 say? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. One thing that, that, that our country certainly needs, but one thing that our churches really need is, 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 is real Christian homes, real Christian homes, homes where Christ resides, homes where Jesus Christ is welcome, homes where he's more than just a name in that household. It's a place where he dwells, a place where he's acknowledged, a place where his name is honored, a place where his word is obeyed. That's real Christianity. But in so many, quote, Christian homes, Jesus is a name. And we go and talk about him on Sunday. But what about the rest of the week? Listen, Jesus Christ is to have the preeminence, not just prominence. The distinction is important. Now notice what happened when Jesus entered into Jairus' home. 
Verse 35. We saw there while he yet spake, there came some from Jairus' house, and they said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them which were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. You know what happened? The first thing that happened when Jesus came into this man's house, Jesus took control. Jesus took over. Notice what happened here. All of these people are all there. And Jesus says, no, you don't get to follow. You don't get to come. And then he goes to the house. And when he walks in the house, there's all these people with the tumult and the crying and the wailing. And Jesus says, why are you crying? She's just asleep. And they laughed him to scorn the very next words when Jesus had put them all out. You don't belong here. It's not even his house. It's Jairus' house. But Jesus is taking control. Amen? Amen? Here's the point. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Sir, you are the head of your home. You are to be the head of your home. But who is your head? It's Jesus Christ. He is to be your head. And when Jesus entered into Jairus' home, Jesus chose who was to be there and who was not to belong there. Jesus was the one who made the choice. He took the authority. And I'm simply saying this. Are you letting him have that same authority in your home? Is he able to bring in the thing that he wants in? And is he able to kick out the thing that he doesn't want there? If there's anything that's hindering the ministry of God in our home, as dads, we should prayerfully ask and want the Lord to show us. Lord, if you want it out, then we're going to get it out. Does he have that authority? He took control. And Jesus came into the house. But you know what else he did? When Jesus came into the house, Jesus imparted new life. Oh, this is good. Jesus imparted new life when he took control. Look at verse 41. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve, and they were astonished with great astonishment. 
When Jesus comes in, when Jesus is in control, when you invite him into your house, he's going to take control. He's going to impart new life into your home and into your, into your house. Listen, you want to revive some things in your home? Something's not so good right now. Something's not quite right. Invite the Lord in. Let him have control. You want to put some things in order in your family? Do you want to put some things in order in your finances? Do you want to get some things under control with your kids? Like, like they're just out of control. I can't seem to handle it. Listen, listen. Invite the Lord in and let Him have control. Stop doing it yourself. Stop trying. Build your life on the Word of God. Get, get disciplined in your own life. Get charactered in your own life. Set the example. Lead your family to the Lord. Let Jesus Christ into your home for real, not just in name only. And he's going to begin to impart new life there. Let it sink in for a second. Look at verse 22 again. And the third thought and principle We've read these verses, but let me just draw something else out of it. Verse 22 says that Jairus came to Jesus. It tells us that when he saw him, he fell on his, fell at his feet. He's worshiping the Lord. He's humbling himself in front of all of these people. He's seeking the Lord himself. Verse 23 says that he besought him greatly. And here's what he says, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Jairus was a man who showed by his faith real love to his daughter. You see Jairus' faith here? He fell at Jesus' feet. He said, if you can come and you can touch her and you can put your hands on her, I know that not only will she be healed, but she's going to live. What was it that took him from his daughter's side? She lieth at the point of death. It's a critical moment, isn't it? She's about to die. What was it that took him from her side to seek out Jesus while she's dying? What compelled him to fall at Jesus' feet and cry out, come to my house and touch my daughter? What was it that caused this man to forget his place in society and what other people might think or what other people might say? There was no pride in him at this point. What was it that caused him to do all of that? It was love. It was love. It was love. He loved his daughter. And this love said, I'm going to do whatever I've got to do or go wherever I've got to go to see that you come in contact with Jesus. Oh, get the thought. Get the principle here. Love your kids enough to do whatever it takes to make sure they come in contact with the Lord. I need to keep learning this myself. Love isn't 
giving your kids all that they ask for. Love is not a closet full of toys or a room full of things. Love is not a drawer full of nice clothes you can wear to make them look pretty. Love is not an allowance. Love is not all kinds of adventures in Alaska. Love is not any of those things. Here's what love is. Love is doing whatever it takes. Being willing to give up whatever it takes. All that is necessary so that our kids come in contact with the faith. That's love. Whatever it takes. Why? Because we so desperately want them to grow. We so desperately want them to grow. I can't think of anything more tragic in all the world than to be together here in this life with your kids, with your family, but then to be separated for all eternity. Because they've been coming with us. I can't think of anything more tragic than that. Are people responsible responsible for themselves? Yes. Ultimately, they are. But when we do our job to the best of our ability and we teach them the fear of the Lord and we teach them about Christ and we do all that's necessary to make them come into contact with the Lord, that goes a long way. And we're not perfect and we fail and we're not always consistent, but I know this, when you have a heart that's conscientious and you have a heart that is trying, the Lord will fill in the gaps. Because he loves them more than we do. But we should love them enough. Let's do our job. Amen? Let's do our job. Fathers, number one, let your children see you seek the Lord first. You seek the Lord first. Let them see it. They better know. Do they really know? Do they really know? That dad loves me and dad loves God with all of his heart. Do they know? Number two, let Christ have preeminence in your home. Make sure he's not just a name, but that he's Yahweh. And thirdly, Show your love by doing all that you have to do, whatever is necessary, so that your kids 
have a chance to come to know him. Jairus is a good example. A good example of a father who had the right priorities and the right heart. And it reminds us that we've got a job to do. And Lord, where I failed in the past, I don't want to fail anymore. Help me. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd use your word to impart truth. And Lord, that we'd look inward and examine our own hearts, our own homes. And Lord, we do ask you to forgive us where we failed you. And then give us your grace for the days ahead. Lord, may we take seriously our responsibility as fathers. And Lord, there are principles here for everyone. We all need to take responsibility for our own relationship with the Lord. We all need to learn the fear of the Lord. We all need to build our lives around Christ. We all need to invite him in that he would have control. And so, Lord, we're just asking that you would accomplish your will in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to our feet as Bowden and I close.